certainly we need to uh, be praying. Uh, I know we mentioned Ukraine, but uh, certainly um, I think of all the people that it's usually not the, it's the innocent people that are usually hurt in those conflicts like that, especially those that are, um, I was just uh, reminded by uh, someone, there was a, I guess a group that was meeting in a church worshiping and got hit with uh, one of the bombs from Russia. And uh, you think about, uh, well, if you're going to go, you know, you go and worship, but uh, still, you know, you think about uh, the suffering that takes place, uh, you know, in a war-torn world like this. uh, But uh, it only causes you to long for the one that uh, is going to come, who's going to be the prince. He is the prince of peace, and he will bring peace. And he will bring... uh, it says that every nation will come and, uh, and that everyone in heaven and in earth will bow before the king. And um, it only makes you long for that day um, when there will be true peace. And so uh, that day will come, and it will come in his time. Um, we've been talking about uh, fighting for joy in the Christian life. And uh, I don't know, uh, we live in a world which is a lot of bad news, isn't there, a lot of times. And... Uh, it's hard to keep your head up in the midst of that. It's hard to even sometimes to be joyful because it's like, you know, everywhere you look, there's a lot of bad news. And sometimes you just think, well, uh, you know, there's a lot to be discouraged about. And Paul knows that. He's, uh, dealing with, uh, he's dealing with the same types of world that you and I live in. It's a world that's cruel. It's a world that's broken. And it's a world that's... Uh, that really needs Jesus. And so that's, uh, that's what Paul's sharing with us. He's, he's basically sharing with us one of the great, uh, you know, the, one of the great truths of Scripture. And I think uh, most of us will, will agree that probably that's one of the, one of the areas that we, we struggle with the most is, um, uh, you know, in this area of the Christian life. Uh, there was a uh, really uh, very... Uh, it's a very prominent seminary, but they asked their uh, graduates this question because they, uh, they realized that uh, they wanted to improve their curriculum. They wanted to improve the way they're training pastors. And they asked the pastors this question, and it was a very relevant question, I think, and a, a relevant question for them. And, they, and this is the question they asked them. They said, after spending uh, all these years you know, studying Greek and Hebrew and theology and you know, uh, church history and all these things. Uh, they asked this question. They said, um, you know, what area do you wish you had had more instruction, better instruction on? And the unanimous answer came back. This is the unanimous answer that came back. And it says, how to live, how do I live the Christian life? You know, I know the theology. I know the Bible. I know all about, uh, you know, the you know, church history, but I really need to understand how to live the Christian life. And it hits the nail right on the head because think about it, you know, we go to, I've been in church all my life and that's probably the the greatest question I think we all ask, right? Is how do I, how do I take what I know about Jesus and, and into my practical daily living? And that's what Paul has been dealing with really in the book of Philippians. It's basically showing us how how to take the gospel and to enflesh it into our lives. That's the, the word incarnation is Christ coming down and becoming flesh. And then he, through the gospel, 
takes the gospel and enfleshes it in us so that we become little Christ, if you will. Christian just means little Christ. And so, uh, and that's what Paul's going to deal with here this morning. Is how, do I, how do I put what I've learned about Jesus into practice daily, practically in my life? Um, and so there's no, no Christians or no believer that's exempt from this. And, uh, and Paul realizes that. I mean, he's had all these experiences. Think about it. He, he was struck down on the road to Damascus, and God converted him. And then it says that God, that when he went out into the desert, it says God showed him a vision of the third heaven. And all of that was a part of Paul's experience after his conversion. I mean, his conversion and then after his conversion. But Paul still wanted to know something more. Uh, it's kind of like... Um, when I go to a restaurant, they usually serve or they ask me if I want an appetizer, right? And uh, usually, ladies, if you're cooking, you'll have a, a few little things there for appetizers, right? And the appetizers are not supposed to be the meal, right? The appetizers are only to help us enjoy the meal. And, and what Paul is doing, basically, as he's saying, is that God's saving grace that, that brought us into the Christian life is the appetizer which causes us to have a deeper hunger for the feast. And if you read Scripture, especially uh, in the Old Testament and in and Revelation, the Bible and church and worship is really the feast that we celebrate every week. Did you realize when you're coming to church, you're supposed to be coming to have a feast? And the feast is the Word of God. It's more of the same, but it's in, a, it's in all, all of its variety and all of its beauty. And so that's what Paul is, is, is dealing with here in this text. We're going to look at really two verses is really going to be our text. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Paul's told us about his conversion. He's told us about his resume. He's told us about all of that resume, all of his, all of his, uh, all of his activity, all the things that he took pride in. He says all of that is, is nothing but garbage, refuse compared to, no, to, to knowing Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And now he's not going to say, well, what else, what else more, what more is there? What can we expect now? Well, verse 10 and 11, Paul gives us his personal ambition, his, his great ambition in life. The one thing that he wants more than anything else in verse 10 and in verse 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And the Lord add his blessing on his word, and uh, let's ask God's blessing. Father, we need your help. Uh, Lord, we are coming to one of the great passages of Scripture. In some ways, it's probably, uh, I don't know if it was Paul's life's verse, but it was certainly a verse that took hold of him. And I trust, Father, by your Holy Spirit and and through the ministry of, uh, of the word that the Spirit takes that word and drills deep into our own hearts. Lord, we need, we need you, and we need more of you. We don't need less. We, uh, we don't need uh, to move beyond you. Uh, we just need more of you. And so, Father, we pray that we might be the people who would say more and more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness, see, more of his love who died for me. And we ask that in his name and for his sake. Amen. 
So Paul is wanting to know more about Jesus. What does that, what does that look like? You know, some people say, uh, well, you know, Christians are just, uh, you know, they say, well, what is a Christian? Well, you know, to be a Christian is, uh, you know, it means to be forgiven. And that's true, isn't it? You know, to be a Christian is to be forgiven. And I think that when people say, make that statement, they're basically saying, you know, as Christians, I'm flawed. I'm still struggling. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. And Paul would agree with that. But there's another sense in which Paul would say, but, you know, my Christianity is not a sedative to put me to sleep. You know, being, having a relationship with Christ does not, it does not create this passivity in me. In fact, Paul says more than just creating a, you know, a, a kind of an, in, you know, kind of like, okay, well, I've got my ticket to heaven, that he basically says that the gospel that he has believed, the trust in Christ for his righteousness alone, basically is a stimulant for him to live the Christian life. It, it's the, you might say it's the thing that, that, that deepens his hunger and his thirst for God. That God's saving grace and salvation acts like an appetizer for him to want more of the feast. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about what it means that Jesus died for me. I want to know more about what that love you know, that, you know, Paul says in uh, Philippi, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, he says, he prays for the Ephesians, he says, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And he's talking about God's love. Can you imagine? He's saying, I'm not just content with a little bit of Christ's love. I want to know more of it. And so Paul's ambition as a, as a, as a believer, I mean, think about it. When Paul, before Paul was saved, was he ambitious? He was so ambitious, he was so enthusiastic that he was actually persecuting the church. He was 110% Pharisee. After he's saved, guess what? He's not an 85% Christian. He's a 110% believer. He wants to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he has this focus. It's, it's like he's, I mean, uh, if you walk into, uh, now, I could probably pick on some of you guys, but some of you guys might be really sports enthusiasts. And let's just say somebody, I know a couple of guys that are friends of mine that if there's a West Virginia University football game on, they're glued to the television set. And ladies, uh, you know, if uh, you have a husband who's that, that, that enthusiastic, and, you, and what happens, I mean, they are so glued to the set, you can go in and start talking, about, you know, honey, I'm going to the store to spend $10,000. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I just bought this, I just bought this $5,000, such a, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they didn't hear anything, right? They're, they are totally focused on the game. Paul was totally focused on Jesus. He is 110% in, on, uh, focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he, uh, when he, he, this is his testimony, he says, I just want more of that. I want to know Jesus more. Uh, it's like, guys, when, um, when I first met my wife, I mean, before we, you know, I knew her for a couple of years before we were married, but when I first met her, I, all the other girls just, they faded away in the background. I just wanted to know her. I just wanted to get to know what she liked and things that, you know, where she was from and all the different things, and I had tons of questions. Okay, I was totally 
I was totally zoned, right? I mean, that's what you call it. You know, I, was, I was zoned out of all the others, but I was zoned in on one. Paul's zoned in on one person, Jesus Christ. He is sold out. If you can just say, talking about a guy that's sold out, he is sold out. And he has this new passion, this one person that he wants to get to know, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's what, that's what God intends for us. He wants, in other words, you know, the, 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 he wants us to, because the more we know Jesus, the more joy that's going to be filling our hearts and our lives. In fact, if you back up just a little bit here, when Paul is talking about this in verse 8, uh, verse, uh, verse eight, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Notice that, my Lord. Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, most other places, Paul, in, in the scriptures, he will talk about Jesus Christ is the Lord, is Yahweh. He is the, the Exodus 3, burning bush Yahweh. He is the Isaiah 6, holiness of God, Yahweh. But here he calls Jesus, my Yahweh, my Lord. Now, when you were first saved, what did you say? I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My Lord, my Savior. Then all of a sudden we begin to grow and, you know, we study the Bible. Maybe we come to church and so forth. And, we, and all of a sudden we're just talking about, yeah, well, yeah, I'm a believer. But when did Jesus stop getting so that, you know, we say, hey, he's my Lord. Paul's saying, he's my Jesus. He's my Lord. It's basically, he's, he's saying, this is real personal to me. You know, Paul is saying, and Paul has probably been saved here 25, maybe 25 years. And one of the marks of maturity in the Christian life is that you're saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's not just the Savior. He's mine. He's my personal Savior. He's my personal Lord. I bow the knee. I, I, my, my, whole, my whole focus is to get to know Him and everything that that means. And, you know, if you want to get to, if you want to, you know, I have to say it that uh, in order, I was focused. When I met Chris, I was focused. I wanted, I wanted to marry her. No, I took had to pray about it for about a year because I said, well, I was already engaged. Before this, I was engaged to somebody else. So we won't even go to that story, okay? The point is, is when I met her, that girl just dropped off the chart. She, she kind of like, she went from here to down here. I mean, you know, it was like, am I crazy or something? You know, the, the, the girl of my dreams? Okay, that, that was the, that, but, but so, but all of a sudden, I began to do something. If you're focused on something, what do you do? You pursue it. Right? Now watch Paul pursue Jesus here. That's what verse 10 is about. He's going to pursue Jesus. How is he going to pursue Jesus? Well, verse 10 says that, that I may know him and what? And the power of his resurrection. When God saves you, he resurrects you from the dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and he, he basically took hold of you, and he gave you life, and he ripped you right out of the grave of your deadness. That's what it means to be born again. He opened your eyes and you said, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and if you give me what I deserve, I'm going to hell right away. But thank you for the cross in which you paid for my sins. And it's that life. I mean, that's what Paul says in Colossians 3.1. He says, he says, 
He says, you have been raised with Christ. He's talking about your first resurrection. When you, regeneration is your first resurrection. By the way, you're going to have a second resurrection, but it's going to be your body. Amen? And that's what Paul's excited about. He said, I'm pursuing. I've got the life of Christ. I've I've got just a taste of what it means to have a relationship with God. And he says, I'm going to pursue that with everything I have. I'm going to give it 110% because there's nobody and no one worthy of my energy, my time, my sacrifice than to know Jesus better. He's wanting to know him in three different areas here. Number one, fellowship with Christ in my justification. You say, well, I know I'm justified by faith through Christ alone, through grace alone. I'm not, I'm not, what what is there about fellowship and all of that? Well, brothers and sisters, when God justifies you before God, that means that he legally declares you righteous, just as righteous as Jesus. That means that when you stand before God and you go into God, go to God in prayer this morning or, or, or now or even later, that you stand before God and God looks at you and you are as righteous as Jesus and you go, That couldn't be. But that's the truth. That God doesn't go there and go, what are you doing here today? You you had a bad day yesterday, didn't you? What are you doing here? That's not God. God's saying, come on in. You are my son. You're my daughter. You're welcome. My door is open 24-7, and I'm your dad. And if you know anything about a dad, you want, he, he says, just, Get up here on my lap and talk to me, right? In other words, Paul wants to, that fellowship. In other words, he doesn't, he's, he's not saying, I want a better gospel. I want to move beyond the simple Jesus stuff. I want to move beyond just knowing Jesus in, this, in, this, in, this, in, in his forgiveness. But justification is more than just forgiveness, isn't it? It's his righteousness put on your account. Now, guys, uh, I'm going to put you, give you a test. Now, when you have an argument with your wife, none of us never do that. But would you rather be forgiven or be right? See, that's not true, Frank. Why did you have the argument? Because you wanted to be right. <laughs> now nah, I'm picking on you, okay? But but the point is, I mean, I, that's what I would say too. But then when I stop to think about, it, to be justified means to be right with God. I wanted to be right. That's why Chris and I have arguments at times, and I don't like being wrong. And when she's right, um, she's you know. It's hard to me. For, uh, I, have to, I have to swallow my pride. Yeah, oh, you were right. <sighs> it's not about feeling. It's that she was right and I was wrong. I just have to admit it. But see, before God, that's what justification is, that I'm right before God. And that's powerful, isn't it? Now, I am forgiven. You're right, Frank. I am forgiven but more than anything, well, because most of our, you know, our wives know that we're wrong a lot of times, but, you know, they don't rub it in. At least they don't rub it in, right? And they're very forgiving, right? But the point is, is that we want to be right, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be right as long as that rightness is in Christ. 
we have his righteousness. His robe of righteousness covers us. And it's that what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that life of Christ in me opens up heaven. Heaven's door is never closed. Now, I know that on our feelings and our emotions, and this is true, I've been there, is that there are times in our Christian life when our prayers don't seem to be going in. But guess what? Because I'm justified in Christ, that means that the door is always open. And when I'm crying out in my struggle and my discouragement and my being overwhelmed by life, guess what? God's door is never shut. And he reads exactly what I'm feeling. He's been touched with the feelings of my infirmities so that I can actually, I can unburden my heart and say, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is, this is the struggle that I'm having. And what, what God does is say, but I love you so much. I just want to come. I just want you to come and talk to me. And, and Paul's pursuing that fellowship with Christ in his justification, but he's also doing this, something else. It's called his transformation. Because, see, we are justified in Christ, and then God begins to what? He begins to change us. And what's he changing us into? The image of Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29, that all things work together for what? For my good, because God is using that work, everything that happens to you, God is using to conform you to Christ. And the picture of what he's doing here, he's going to show us in, in this text. But God's transforming us into the image. And you could say, if you could, if you could put it on an equation, the image of God equals the glory of God. What is it that Moses wanted to see? Show me your glory. He was obsessed. He wanted to see God's glory. And what did God show him he showed him the Lord is full of what? Loving kindness. God is full of steadfast love. God began to show him his glory in his grace, the glory of his mercy, the glory of his patience. We're seeing that glory, in the, we're seeing it in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, being changed from one stage of glory to another being conformed or being changed into the likeness of Christ. So what is God doing in your life? All of those trials, all of those struggles, all of those doubts, all of those fears, all of, all of that striving and, and, and difficulty that you face in your life and you pray about and you pour it out to God and you cast that care on him and all of those things, God says, that's God using your circumstances to make you like Jesus. And you go like, boy, that hurts. It hurts to let go of self, doesn't it? But Lord, I want, Lord, my schedule, Lord, my possessions, Lord, my, 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 you know, and, and God is saying, no, John, it's, it's really about what? Putting others first, right? Chapter 2, Philippians. The pattern of humility is putting the interests of others before my own. Paul is pursuing God in his transformation. If you, know, if you can almost see this, chap, verse 9 is justification. Verse 10 is sanctification and transformation. Verse 11 that we're going to look at here is glorification. Wow. How do I live the Christian life? Well, in my justification, 
in my transformation, and even in my glorification. It's all about Jesus. God is conforming me to the image of Christ. Someday I'm going to be like Jesus. It says that when we see him, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And guess what? All of a sudden, when you look at the glory of God, you're going to reflect it. And you're going like, I'm not going to recognize you. At least I won't recognize the way you were. I'll see you as you are now. And I'll probably have to rub my eyes and say, is that really you, Danny? <laughs> and you're going to say, is that really you, John? You got hair, you know, or something. You know, the, the, the point is, is that we're, Paul is pursuing the fellowship with Christ in his transformation. He's not stopped there. He hasn't, he hasn't stopped wanting more of Jesus. You know, I, you know Christian life is not just... You know, it's, it's, you know, yes, there's struggle and there's difficulty and those, those challenges. But in fact, all of a sudden when we are going through those, we forget that we are adopted children of God. You know, there's a story about a little girl. And I think this, it, this example, I think, fits us as Christians. She's adopted and her first day with her adoptive parents was really hard. Uh, she talked nervously around her new home because she was fearing that she might be beaten if she broke anything because that's what happened when she would break anything around her home when she was growing up. And the toys in her room were untouched because she couldn't believe they were hers. And at night when she went to sleep, she, just, she wanted to cry, but she, she had learned to restrain her tears because she didn't want, you know, she, she just learned how to cope. But a month later... Her mother writes this in her diary. Sophia crawled in bed with me tonight because she was having a bad dream. She curled up next to me, put her hand on my chest, told me that she loved me, and she went to sleep. And her mother said, I wanted to cry with contentment. And she, now you can see Sophie had a new identity on day one, right? She was in a new family. But it took a while for her to what? to understand that she was really loved and that she was with mom and she was with her mom and dad now. You know, as Christians, sometimes we, we, we still think that, well, you know, what's happening to me is some way God's punishment. In reality, it's not that at all. It's we have to realize that, hey, I am God's adopted child, his daughter, his son. And we take that into God and we say, Lord, I'm your, I'm your son and daughter and I'm here again because I need you and I need your love. I need your arms wrapped around me right now in this situation. It gets really personal. God wants that personal relationship to deepen that relationship in us. You know, you know, we're so used to, yeah, well, that's just the way it is. Well, yeah, but, you know, let, I think Johnny Erickson, I heard her one time, she says, let, and it was, she's quoting C.H. Spurgeon, and she basically says, let, let the waves of, of, of your circumstance drive you into the arms of Jesus. Isn't that cool? Let your circumstances, your struggles, bring those up to the feet of Christ. And you know what God's doing in all of that? God has one mold. He didn't have a lot of molds, but you know what a mold is, right? You pour, into, you pour a mold is something you pour you, um, um, melted steel or molded. I used to, I did this one time and it caught my pants on fire. But anyway, so, uh, so anyway, 
So the mold is this. It's a cross. And what's Paul saying? That I might know him in the power of his resurrection. And that life of Christ is going to mold you into the shape of the cross. That I might what? That I might share in his suffering. He's talking about fellowship in Christ's suffering. And he's talking about becoming like him in his death. He's talking about God shaping us into the form of a cross. Did you realize that in church architecture in the old days, they built churches in the shape of the cross? It was intentional. That's exactly what God is doing in our lives. And you say, well, why is all this suffering? Well, guess what? God is using that suffering to make you like Jesus. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 just for a moment. We won't stay there very long, but we're going to be there just for a second. Just to show you what Paul's talking about here. Now, Paul had this thorn in the flesh. And in that thorn in the flesh, it was, it was, you know, he says, Lord, take it away, take it away. He says three times, I said, Lord, take it away. And God says, no way am I taking that thorn in the flesh away, Paul. And then what, Paul, what does Paul do? Well, no, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, what's he say to me? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. That's suffering, brothers and sisters. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Now, Circle that word. I am content with what? Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The life of Christ is reproduced. Life is reproduced in you. What kind of, what, what, what's actually produced when you go through suffering? You become much more compassionate with people who are suffering, right? Our problem today is... You know, you walk down the street, guess what? Where are your eyes? Your, your eyes directed towards people who are suffering. No, you're looking down. You, I, don't want anybody to, <laughs> I don't want anybody to stop me. I might have to give them some money. Now, I'm not saying that that, that should be the attitude, but a lot of time, I mean, in Chicago, that was, that was all the times because there's always people, you know, got a quarter, got a quarter, got a quarter. You know, that was, that was constant there. Because if I have to get too involved, guess what? That's sacrifice. That's going to require something of me that I don't want to give. But when Jesus looked at the crowds, guess what it says? And Jesus full, he looked at the crowds and he says he was full of compassion. And what did he do? He taught them. Compassion is the life of Christ being lived out of your suffering. How do I learn to love people sacrificially, unconditionally? Is that when I've been loved by Jesus like I have in my justification, that I can stand before God and I'm righteous. I don't have to earn God's acceptance. I don't have to say to God, Lord, I wished I could do something to please you because I know you're angry at me. And God's saying, no, I'm smiling at you. What are you talking about? Look at the, look at the cross. I've justified you in Christ. Look at what I'm doing. I'm conforming you to the image of Christ. And what do you mean? God's saying, I'm using that to make you like me. When Paul was dealing with the Corinthians and they were just ripping him to shreds and saying, you aren't any good, you, you couldn't pass. I mean, I, I can imagine some of the things there. You're not like Apollos. You can't preach like Apollos. You're no Peter. 
You know what Peter, what Paul did? He says, I appeal to you by the gentleness of Christ. He didn't say, let me tell you, I'm an apostle. And I'm going to put people straight. What was the suffering doing to Paul? As he got to know Christ and Christ's gentleness with him as a believer, he could be gentle to others. This is this 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 is this is this dynamic is called cruciform. God's conforming you to the image of Christ through your suffering, through your struggle. Because what he wants you, he, I mean, think about it. He wants heaven full of people that look just like Jesus. That's amazing to me. I don't look like Jesus right now. I mean, there's, I mean, I still, I still lose, I still, I still lose, I, you know, I, I still have to admit I'm wrong. Not occasionally, at least. I'm, I'm doing better, okay? I'm not there yet, but I am. But, but see, Paul is pursuing Christ in his suffering. And because Paul is being conformed to the image of Christ. You know, Jesus said this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, what happens? It abides along. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Isn't that amazing? What's he saying? Well, you want, you want to live your Christian life all to yourself. You know, you want to live, you know, Paul's not living in an ivory tower, tower studying theology. Paul is rubbing, I mean, you think about Paul. Paul is a person of one thing. And you say, what do you mean one thing? You know, he's writing letters. He's in prison. He's being shipwrecked. He's getting bitten by a serpent. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's preaching. He's teaching. He's witnessing. He's discipling and blah, blah, blah. And he's doing a thousand different things. Yes, he's doing a thousand different things, but in one way, to know Christ. Christ in all of that. It doesn't mean that you, he's sitting in every town. You know, he's not just sitting there writing letters. Well, okay, let me see. I'll tell people how to love other people. No, he's loving other people in the hard cases, in difficult situations. That grain of wheat is dying. You know, and that death is not dying literally, physically at that point. Now, eventually we do die, but it's dying to self. Self is the biggest enemy that you have. The DNA of sin is your selfishness and my selfishness. Why do people not know more Jesus? Because I'm, I want people to think well of me and I don't want to offend anybody. See, this new life of God, Paul says, that's my ambition. I want to know more. And he says, and guess what? The ultimate goal in all of that is that I would, I'm going to be raised from the dead and I'm going to be absent of one thing that you and I, we're going to celebrate. There's no going to be no more sin. That I might, he's not saying that, 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 he's, that he's not assured of his, back in Philippians chapter 3, he's just not saying that I, well, I'm not sure I'm a saved. No, he's just saying that I might obtain, notice that verse 3, verse, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, and every, t- and, uh, 3, verse 11. Becoming conformed to his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about glorification. Because in our glorification, guess what? Brothers and sisters, we're going to be face to face with Jesus. You're going to see him as he is. But you're going to see him as the resurrected physical Jesus. When he rose from the dead, what, 200 and some years ago. 
the resurrected, exalted Jesus. And how should that affect the way we live right now? Wow. <laughs> it should create in us kind of a holy dissatisfaction, right? What did it do for Paul? Think about what Paul, I want to know Christ more. Guess what? I, I know Christ as my Lord and Savior, but guess what? I'm never satisfied. I mean, think about it. You meet your wife. You thought you love your wife. As you grow together, what happens? You realize that your love is more de- much, much deeper than it ever was. And you grow in that love. Paul's saying, I'm growing in my love for Jesus. And he's saying, I, there's this holy dissatisfaction. I just want to know. In fact, I can't wait until I'm glorified. And that's why we should love and we should sing about the second coming of Christ. Because when I see him, I will be changed. I will be like him. There should be this holy. So another effect of that should be that there should be this more of this single-minded. This, this Paul, no, later on, Paul's going to say this one thing I do. I forget what lies behind. All my, all my resume, I just kind of threw that on a trash heap of life. And he says, and I'm, I'm striving for. I'm striving like a runner. And I'm striving for the goal of the high prize of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm almost there. I'm stretching out every nerve. As a, you know, I'm crossing the finish line in his head. You know how, the, how they teach you that when you're running, you're, you're, gonna, you're stretching every nerve. And he's saying, I'm stretching every nerve. What? To gain the high prize of the calling of Christ and of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know him in that light. It's really going to change the way we evaluate life, Right? Think about it. Our arithmetic changes. Two and two really does equal Christ. Two plus two. You know, it's not about what I gained or, you know, we're not going to say, well, you know, we look at, you know, look, I look at my resume. Boy, I really have done something in life. No. Paul could say, you know, the only thing that was important to me, all the things that I considered gain, things that I thought were really, I had to have that or else I'm going to be nothing in this life. And Paul says, I'm everything in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have everything. And I think as Christians, we need, that has to get a hold of us. So that when you hear the gospel, you don't say, well, I want something more. No, when I hear the gospel, I'm saying, I need that. I need to think more about that, you know. Like the, like the disciples on the road to Damascus, my heart was burning within me. I need that. The gospel doesn't make us lazy and like, well, I guess I could take it or leave it. Well, church is just kind of one of those things that I just go to. I just fit into. No, I want it. And without that, I'm nothing. I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. It's what that, you know, I mean, bottom line is this. Knowing Jesus, you'll never be bored. You'll never be bored. You'll never, you'll ne- you, you don't walk away. You know, I remember getting hired by, uh, I got out of West Virginia Tech. I'm going to stop this story. I've got to go a little longer. But anyway, I, I, I graduated from West Virginia Tech, accounting major. So I ended up being an uh, internal auditor for them. I was hired over at Bell Plant. And then they sent me down to Chattanooga and then to Chicago, of all places. Um, but... Uh, you know, I thought, well, you know, and I, I, I remember, you know, this boy just beefing that, that, that resume up. Of course, I had hardly any experience, but for some reason they hired me. And uh, I remember I went in there. I had this big afro. It's probably this. I mean, it was huge. <laughs> I thought I was dressed for success. And for some odd reason, they hired me. 
And, um, you know, I look at that and I thought, boy, you know, uh, and, I, and I thought, boy, I'm on the road to success. But God got a hold of my heart because he says, John, you know, I, I've called you to be a preacher. <laughs> I say, I know that, Lord. I put that on the shelf for a while. But you can't put this on the shelf, John, very long. And I was like, and it wasn't two years and I was, I was ready to, you know, I was ready to get out. The money didn't mean anything. And yes, the experience was great. But, you know, I, I just wanted to know more Jesus. I went to seminary not because I felt that I needed to, to have a lot of theological uh, astuteness. I wanted to know the Lord better, and I wanted to know the Lord better through studying the Scriptures. Because in the Scriptures, I learned one thing that Jesus said, my meat is to do one thing, to do the Father's will. And I'm not going to know the Father's will unless I'm in this book. The will of God is revealed to you. It's not, it's not some mystical, well, you know, the hidden things, are, the secret things are, are belong to God, Deuteronomy 29 and 29. But he says the things that are revealed, the things that I want you to do in your Christian life is revealed in this book. Get in this book. And you say, but, but how do I do that? Well, you just start by reading it. <laughs> and then you start maybe grab a commentary or you, you, grab, you, know, you get a book that will help you and, and you listen to other people as they teach the word of God and all of a sudden God gets a hold of you and guess what Paul says I'm running to lay hold of that that's the expression we're going to look at next week he said I'm, looking, I'm running to grab hold of that which God has laid hold of me when God saves you he laid hold of you and I'm, I'm wanting to lay hold of what, what it is God laid hold of me. And guess what it is? It's to know Jesus better. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that your Holy Spirit would drill down into my heart, Lord. There's nothing more than I want and nothing more that this church needs. Nothing more that all of us here need this morning, and that is to know more of Jesus. And we pray this in his name and for his sake.